everyone. Thank you for joining me. It's time for another History Right Now mini pod. Last time we talked about Queen Jane and Queen Mary and the Right Now plan. We're carrying on with our History is Right Now theme. And today we're going to be talking about the king of conversation. So it's it's the idea of how history can help us have more effective, more successful, more lasting conversations at work and at home. So let me share with you what I'm working on. So as you know, wonderful podcast listeners, I do a lot of speaking as well. And I'm being asked, I'm really excited about this, to do some thinking of how history helps us now. I'm doing a couple of talks coming up about Shakespeare and some strategies we can use now. Talking about that a little more today. Um, Also, some ways history can help us right now. And I would love to do more of that. So, hearted plea to you if any of you have any ideas or know people who might be curious and willing to talk to me about that, I would be thrilled because I really believe, as I use as a tagline often, history shows us what's possible in good ways and maybe sometimes not so good ways. History is the key. So I would really love to speak more about this. And so any of you have ideas, I would love to hear them. But in any case, you know that when I'm not obsessing and writing and speaking about history, I do speak and write and give some training in that whole area of business communication for organizations and for several nonprofits here in the DC area and beyond, especially now that Zoom training is so popular. So I'm working on combining these areas of my life, my interest in bringing history more into our conversations about the workplace, about communication, about family communication, community communication, as well as workplace communication. And in my opinion, When we think about communication, it's conversations that are absolutely at the heart of pretty much everything we do, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's in the community, whether it's in a quick trip to the grocery store, we are surrounded by conversations. And so wouldn't we want to be having the best conversations we possibly can all the time so that we're not misunderstood, so we can really understand people so we can make connections, even in a small way and maybe in a big way. There are conversations all around us. And it's conversations that can help us solve problems and create new opportunities and build meaningful, lasting relationships. And these are the kinds of conversations that can change everything. Realistically, Every conversation we have has the potential of turning into something that changes everything for us and for the people around us. And so we want to really be great at conversations. So I want you to think about a conversation you have coming up that feels really important. So maybe you're preparing to meet the person who is about to marry your favorite child. Or maybe you need to ask a neighbor 
to cut back branches of a tree because they're sort of growing out of control over your yard and there are leaves and parts of the tree falling. And also it's blocking the sun to your garden. And so you'd like either for him to cut him back or for permission on your side of the fence for you to cut him back, but it's an awkward conversation. Maybe you want to ask a supervisor for a raise. Or maybe like so many people are talking to me about this one, you are attempting to negotiate a more flexible um, schedule for remote working so that that can continue. Either if you're a supervisor trying to get people back into the office on certain days, or you are a worker who has been working very successfully from a remote location and you're navigating not wanting to go back into the office every day. So there are a lot of ways that we are having conversations in new ways over Zoom instead of in person in a lot of cases. And so conversations are so important. And when I'm doing this kind of training, people often start with, okay, got this big conversation coming up. What do I say? And and that's really what we think of first. What do I say? I want to be convincing. I want to be persuasive. I want to be impactful. I want to impress people. I want them to know that I know my stuff and, and I want a certain outcome. And if I want that outcome, I need to know what to say. So to sort of look at that in another way, let me tell you a story about someone named Henry. He is the president of a small but vibrant and, and, and meaningful company. And the company has been successful over the years, but they've realized they need to increase their market share in order to continue to grow and to thrive. You can't just stay the same all the time. And so they are looking to start bidding on bigger projects and to, as they put it, be a player in a bigger field. You know, they want to do more. They want to stay relevant. They want to be the company people think of. And so he, he just, Henry wants to make more of an impact on the global marketplace. But the thing is, the competition out there right now is tough. And Henry's team, as good as they are, they're feeling a bit intimidated because the other guys, the competition, better funded and newer technology. And there are just more of them. Henry's team's pretty lean. And so the people on the team are feeling intimidated and they have a lot of doubts about their ability to be successful. And so they are not looking forward to this competition. They're not looking forward to the growth opportunities because they're just afraid that they're going to be just overcome by the competition. And it's not going to be a great experience. So they're not looking forward to it. So Henry realizes he's he's got to have a really good conversation, one of those really important conversations, because he wants his team to be able to solve problems, to solve problems now, to solve problems coming up during the competition, to feel confident about that. He wants them to be able to create new opportunities, to be looking for new opportunities, to look for other things they can do in the marketplace, to just be able to create opportunities rather than sort of sitting back and waiting for opportunities to come to them. He wants them to use their talents in new ways. And he wants them to build relationship and trust among each other and to trust him 
so that they really feel like a team. So they're not quite so defensive and they're not sort of looking askance at people in the office, that they really feel like a team and they recognize that working together, they are stronger. The whole is stronger than the sum of its parts kind of thing. So he wants to have a conversation that changes everything and prepares his team for one of the most significant competition success they've ever had. This is a whole new idea for them and he wants them to be prepared. And that's going to be a conversation that changes everything. So I'm wondering, have you recognized this story yet? It is one from history. It is actually from a play about history. And it's the historic event when King Henry V of England leads his army against the French army. Now, the French army, the competition was much better funded than Henry's army. Henry's army's already fought a whole bunch of battles. And the French army is better equipped after all they are fighting in France. And so it's very easy for them to get equipment replaced, whether it's spears or arrows or swords or armor. It's easy for them to get it replaced. They are better trained. The English army has not been training as long as the French. They're better staffed. There are more of them. It's much easier to march an army than to get them all across the ocean to come to France. I mean, to get them over from England is is harder. They can't have as many. And so Henry's army is much smaller. And, you know, the French are fighting on their own turf. They are the ones who are favored to win by far. The French are favored to win. And Henry's army realistically is expecting to lose. And that is their greatest problem is they don't expect to win. They expect to lose. And the king knows the only chance his army has if they believe in themselves, if they believe in the work they're doing, they believe in this battle and they work together and trust each other, that they believe that they are enough, but they're not there yet. They're discouraged and they're complaining and they're voicing doubts about each other and they're voicing doubts about Henry as a leader and they don't trust each other and they don't seem to trust him. And this is not the way to go in and win a battle. So he knows he has one conversation before the battle and that's his chance to turn things around. This is his opportunity to change everything. So how does he know what to say? And the answer is really important because I think when other people are thinking and when you might be thinking sometimes about a conversation, what do I say? What do I say? You learn what to say before the conversation starts. The most important work in your conversation happens before it begins. Really, what you do before the conversation starts is what sets you up for success because that's when you learn. Now, you will hopefully learn during the conversation as well. But your job before the conversation isn't about what you should say. It's about learning, finding out, figuring out what other people need to hear. You do that before you start talking. And in the case of Henry V, King Henry does it the night before the battle. So he has this big battle the next day and he knows he's going to have a conversation 
at the beginning, right before they go into battle. And let me read you a description from the play because it's really very powerful when you think about this. What could he be doing the night before the battle? This is a huge battle. What does he need to do? What's the most important thing he could do to prepare for that battle? And what he decides to do is this. Oh, now who will behold the royal captain of this ruined band walking from watch to watch, from tent to tent? For forth he goes and visits all his host, bids them good morrow with a modest smile, and calls them brothers, friends, and countrymen. A largest universal like the sun, his liberal eye doth give to everyone, thawing cold fear that mean and gentle all behold, as may unworthiness define a little touch of Harry in the night. So the king, and at this time, literally, the king did lead his troops in battle. The king spends his time the night before the battle listening to his troops, watching what they're doing, walking among them, being with them. He demonstrates, he respects, and he values them. He works so that he can show he gets them and he gets their concerns. And so the next day, when he hears one of his leaders wish out loud that there were more soldiers with them because they can see the size of the French army, they know how outnumbered they are. He knows what to say because he's heard it the night before. He's been thinking about it. He's learned what their concerns are. He's learned what they need to hear. And he literally says at one point, we are enough because he knows that's what they need to hear. He knows they're worried about the strength of the French forces. And he knows they're wondering about his commitment. He knows some of them think their efforts don't even matter at all. And no one will care about this army they're facing or how hard they try. And they're going to die and no one will remember them. And it's all for nothing anyway. So because he knows that, he knows what they need to hear. And he's able to address those concerns. The Crispin's Day speech, sometimes it's called the St. Agincourt Day speech of Shakespeare's Henry V, provides us with words and phrases that have leapt out of the play and have resonated for hundreds of years, right down to our own time. That play and that scene, that language in particular, during the very darkest days of World War II, was felt to be such an inspiration. If you think about Night after night when London was being bombed and so many other countries had fallen and it seemed like England was just the last place that Hitler's army was going to come. Winston Churchill commissioned the government to do a production, a movie of Shakespeare's Henry V with Laurence Olivier 
in the role of Henry V. He is playing the king. You may have seen clips from that production. It's very famous. Well, did you know it came out of literally was made during World War II because it was felt that the historic moment and in history, the French troops outnumbered the British troops, the English troops, just as much as Shakespeare portrays them. Sometimes Shakespeare plays with history. It's not always straightforward. But in Henry V, he's actually pretty accurate. And the English are greatly outnumbered. And yet those words rally them and they are able to fight. And Churchill felt that Olivier delivering those words in theaters all over the country would inspire and rally the spirit of the British people to keep going. And it did. And they overcame the enemy. And Churchill, in particular, understood the power of language. And we know that even more recently, phrases from that speech have been used in military training. That play is sometimes distributed still to troops in Britain. It is a lasting thing. It's used in books and a fairly recent HBO series was named for one of the phrases that's quite well known. So how did this speech, how did these lines, how did this language, this part of the conversation between a king and his troops in Agincourt, all those years ago, hundreds of years ago, how does that make such a lasting impression? Because Henry's character, Shakespeare's character of Henry V, rather, knew what the people needed to hear. And that's so powerful. They needed to hear, do their efforts matter? Will people care about what they do? Can they succeed? And is the king really with them? So here's part of that speech, and you can hear him addressing those words. He says that from the day of battle, quote, Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world, but we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. Now, that's a fairly short part of a lengthier speech, but that's one of the sections that really changes everything and has given us that phrase band of brothers that has become so resonant in our time as well. That changes everything in the play. And it's because Henry knew what the people needed to hear. He could not have said what he had, what he said without spending the time the night before to learn what his team needed to hear. And in any great conversation, any conversation where you really want things to change, where you want something to be different after the conversation, even if it's only one step in the right direction, you want it to be a meaningful step. You want this conversation to move things forward. You need to know what people need to hear. And you can use this strategy right now that's presented so well, and it turns out timelessly by Shakespeare in this play about history, to have conversations that solve problems, because you can learn how the problem is experienced by another person or other people. 
That's how you can have a conversation that solves a problem. You can have conversations create that create opportunities or move opportunities forward when you learn what really matters to other people. What opportunities are they looking for? What are they interested in? What can you do together? You learn that and then you'll know it. And that tells you what to say because you're able to say what they need to hear. You can have conversations that build lasting, meaningful relationships that build strong bonds of trust, which will carry you through the tough times because you will learn what the common ground is and what you can grow on that common ground to take all kinds of relationships to the next step. So that one passage, that one moment from Shakespeare's play, Henry V, which is truly based on, uh, there's even some historical evidence that the real King Henry V addressed his troops. Okay, he probably didn't say, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. But we see in Shakespeare how it's not that that language, we band of brothers, is so inherent. I mean, those are fairly ordinary words, but they spoke to then and they speak to now something that people need to hear. And that's what we can do with our conversations. We can spend time the night before, which might be the week before, the day before, but before the conversation to learn what people need to hear. Then we can be prepared to address their concerns as they come up in the conversation. And that's how we can have conversations that change everything. And in this case, Shakespeare's model is a really great way of helping us develop strategies to be more effective, more interesting, more persuasive, and ultimately more successful in our conversations moving forward. Because history is looking to the past to gain more clarity moving forward. And that's why I truly believe history shows us what's possible. So thank you so much for joining me for this summer special to look at ways that history is right now. We will have some more of these going forward, but in July, I really wanted to just take a pause. We do some special things in the summer and look at some of the ways we can put history and Shakespeare as part of history to work in our lives right now. Now, please plan to join us in upcoming episodes because again, we will be having fun with some of your favorite fiction and I'm so excited about it. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today and please join me again as we all keep shaking up history together. Thank you.